0: Welcome, everyone, to the Fitness in Motion podcast. I'm your host, Kyler Eide, and in today's episode, episode number 10, we talk a little bit about sleep and sleep deprivation. Now, this was going to be an episode, uh, kind of a part two, talking about stress, but I figured. We should probably talk about sleep, one, because it is important, and two, uh, I have neglected working on this and improving this myself, Um, so it just became more of an interest in me. It became higher on the list as far as priorities myself, and I feel like that resonates with a lot of you out there. Uh, So sleep became more important just to talk about, but also um, I'm hoping it'll help me in my own life and health and wellness program. Now, the couple or a few subtopics that I go over are you know, the things to avoid uh, before going to sleep to hopefully help our sleep patterns. Also, uh, if we are undersleeping or we are experiencing sleep deprivation, what kind of impact does that have on our body and what things should we look for? And then lastly, some actionable items, some techniques, some things to start implementing into your routine to hopefully get you out of that rut if you are undersleeping or just to, uh, I guess, uh, help you become more mindful when it comes to sleep and improving that so without further delay let's just hop into the episode i hope you guys enjoy this information i will see you on the other side Fimfam, welcome to episode 10 hopefully you enjoyed the intro obviously you know that the topic for today is all about sleep and sleep deprivation I think that it is not new news, that sleep is super important and vital when it comes to health, wellness, fitness, longevity, whatever you wanna call it or whatever you are seeking. But uh, I don't know, This is I'm just speaking for myself, but sleep sometimes gets pushed to the back burner, right? Or we tend to focus on it just for a little bit, and then we focus on other things that we think are are more important when we are trying to get fitter, healthier, Uh, live longer. So I wanted to bring the topic of sleep back to the front burner and have a discussion about it. Deep dive in a couple different subtopics, and hopefully you leave this episode thinking just like I did, huh, I should really focus on sleep, if not, you know, above most things, above all things um, in my health and wellness program. So after all that, before I start, I wanted to uh, preface this with a couple of things. I apologize. It's been almost a month now since my, uh, you know, my most recent post. I usually post episodes every two weeks. Uh, the last few weeks have just been, you know, a kind of a a crap storm of just some technical issues, being super busy with several weddings that I was a part of and had to travel for, um, and really any other excuses I can come up with on the spot. But I'm I'm happy to be back. And just to stick and stay with the regular two week cadence for all of you out there. So I apologize for that. Here we are again uh, with the most recent episode about sleep. The last thing I wanted to mention before we get into the content, um, I I want to just, uh, uh, for disclaimer purposes, you know, I'm not a sleep expert. Uh, my, My degree, my schooling, and most of my experiences have not revolved around sleep. But the information I deliver in this episode and for the rest of this episode um, is a mixture of things that we did happen to learn about in our clinical exercise physiology uh, program in graduate school, uh, mixed in with some information I've I've done as far as research, research in the last few weeks, uh, but also some references and data pulled from other professionals. Uh, if you listen to my last episode, I talk a lot about and reference a lot of the uh, the physician named Peter Atia, and some information he has posted on his uh, on his podcast and some of his website and and uh, and um, I guess articles that he has put out. And so I have uh, listened to some of his podcasts revolving around this. And the main uh, guy that he he talks with is, uh, I apparently, I didn't know this, but he has like one of the top five, viewed TED Talks on YouTube Uh, but his name is Dr. Matthew Walker and this guy man he's an English scientist and professor of neuroscience and psychology at the University of California Berkeley Uh, and his practice and, and his research is all around sleep for longevity and human health so like this is one of the top dogs the top guys when it comes to talking about this topic of sleep so I've been listening to him talk more read some of his stuff listened and watched, you know, his conversations and videos he has had interacting with Peter Atia, And uh, I've kind of brought some of that information to light in my episode during my podcast, mixed in with stuff that I already knew or that I had to like, you know, go back and and relearn from the material from grad school. So um, some of it is, you know, coming from me, and some of it is just referencing what who I view as one of the top professionals for sleep and the study of sleep, Dr. Matthew Walker. Um, so let's, let's get into the, the meaty content. Let's get into all of this. The three subtopics that I wanted to present during this sleep topic are as follows. So what can we avoid or what should we avoid uh, leading up to our sleep right, to to hopefully avoid, uh, you know, low quality of sleep or not getting enough sleep. So that's the first subtopic. The second one will be, um, what impact does sleep deprivation have on our bodies, on our brains, on our, you know, overall routine uh, when we're trying to stay healthy and fit? Um, And that was a big one for me because I knew that, you know, sleep deprivation was a thing. And then I knew that it, it did have an impact uh, but when you deep dive into it, you learn, holy crap, uh, it is really ruining and stomping on our dreams and our goals if we don't have this in check. Uh, and so the last, the last subtopic is also uh, maybe some you know, helpful tips and actionable items uh, to help you wind down before going to sleep or um, just things you can start you know, implementing in your program to help your sleep. Um, and that also was was eye-opening because I literally was doing none of them or maybe just a couple of them very infrequently. Um, so I'm I'm surprised I even go to sleep, to be honest. But those are the three things we're gonna be covering and, and honing in on. And I hope that it's it's super helpful for you. So let's start with the first one. Uh things to avoid, right? Um I guess the 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 three main things to avoid that I have in my notes here are just as far as like eating. Right. So when we talk, when I talk to clients and members or when people come up to ask me, they're like, hey, like when you know, when's the latest I should be eating or having a meal like so it doesn't impact my sleep. So eating will be one. Uh, The other thing will be like exercising, types of exercise or the timing of exercise so it doesn't impact sleep. And then the last one, uh, alcohol, so alcohol consumption and how that impacts our sleep overall as well. So now looping back to eating when should we eat when should we not eat before sleep and if you think of of something as simple or as complex as as uh, the timing of our meals uh, as humans you know we eat foods for different reasons because it fits our schedule because uh, we decide to eat only when we're hungry Um, we eat because we want to or because, you know, it's it's very habitual and we eat certain things when we you know watch TV versus we eat certain things when we're walking around. Um, but a lot of the times our meals or the foods that we eat run right up to when, you know, right before we go to sleep, which is why this is kind of at the top of the list of things to work on if you know that your sleep is very suboptimal or it's affecting um, how you recover. So some some very just, I guess, easy and basic recommendations uh, that I would have that um, is usually recommended is that eating too close to bedtime. We usually want uh, your last large meal, uh, you know, two to three hours from when you go to sleep. So you, you want like a two to three hour window of not eating a full meal before you go to bed. Uh, a simple example of why this is important you know, if let's say you just ate a huge meal and then about 30 minutes later, you brush your teeth, you, you lay down to go to sleep. Uh, when you lie down, just because of the position that that you're in, uh, you're more likely to get like acid reflux, right? There, it's still sitting uh, in your stomach. You still have food items in your stomach that hasn't quite been absorbed or broken down and moved into uh, deeper parts of your GI tract uh some individuals might experience more acid reflux episodes just because now they are going from an upright position to a laying down like prone or supine uh, position so that's one thing I, I know i don't personally usually experience that well maybe i do maybe i do and i don't even know that but uh, that's one thing we want to usually avoid because that can affect uh your sleep by getting that nasty acid reflux going on uh, also when we fall asleep or initiate you know, falling asleep, uh, the body tries to lower your core temperature. Again, that 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 is important and it helps you to fall asleep. Um, I think the rule of thumb or not the rule of thumb or just uh, most data that you look at is that the body needs to and usually lowers your core temperature like two to three degrees Fahrenheit to initiate and stay asleep. Um, and we'll get into, you know, like setting the temperature in your house or in your room to help with that. But uh, if you eat a large meal uh, before you go to sleep, that will raise your core temperature. We need blood flow. We need things on hand to help digest the foods you just put in your system. So because you just put food in your system, it needs to start working on that. So it will increase your core temperature, therefore going against what your body would like to see to help you fall asleep. but yeah, so if, if, if again, if you just simply cannot avoid, you know, eating before you go to sleep like me. So I'll give an example. I'm going to be 100% transparent uh, because of my work schedule and because of when I usually can fit in a workout, I work most, you know, evenings until 7, 8 p.m. or something. Some days I will go and work out super late at night. It's not super optimal, but it's optimal for my schedule sometimes. And then, of course, I will want to eat after that late night workout. So therefore I'm eating pretty close and up until the time I fall asleep. So can I avoid that? I could probably try, but some nights I just cannot avoid that uh, because of my, my schedule and because of my workout. So here are some things, if you're like me out there, um, if you can't avoid eating something before going to bed, uh, the best thing you can try to do is just staying away from simple carbohydrates. So that's going to be like the, the very sugary, you know, candies or cereals Uh, And the reason for that, like we want to avoid that burst of energy, to put it simply, right? That burst of energy and alertness that we usually get from those simple carbohydrates or those more sugary, dense foods. Uh, But those foods get translated quickly into energy. and again, our body was like, whoa, what's this now in our system? That's kind of cool. Hey, sugars, what's up? And that can also affect our heat index. And then you know, core temp goes up, our alertness goes up, we have all these sugars going on. So our brains are more alert. And the last thing your body probably wants to do now is wind down and fall asleep. And to piggyback on that, you know, talking about like the late workouts that I sometimes place during my, my week, um, let's talk about you know, the timing of exercise and how that can potentially affect uh, when you go, go to sleep or how you sleep. So the sleep quality. Uh, to give you a time window on that, there, I mentioned the try to stay away from that two to three hour window of eating some food items before going to sleep. That's about the same when it comes to exercise. Like we, we want to have like our, the end of our workout, you know, be at least three hours away from when we decide to fall asleep. And um, again, I'm just going to keep throwing myself under the bus here. When I have those couple late night workouts, I'll go home, I'll eat something and I'm, I'll potentially be falling asleep inside that window and then wonder why the heck I, I wake up the next morning and not feel the greatest or not feel like I am recovered, right? I feel tired, but I'm wired sort of thing. So the reasons that we want to maybe uh, create that that time gap between workout and sleep is that our core temperature stays up for a good amount of time uh, post-workout. And like we mentioned just before, your body tries to do a good job lowering that core temperature so that we can initiate that sleep cycle. So if you exercise and then try to go to bed, good luck. One, because your core temperature is all kinds of jacked up. But think of what we just did, right? Uh, We just put a stimulus on our bodies that woke up ironically woke up everything uh talking about our nervous system we're talking about hormones um whether we just had like a hard workout or like i said that fight or flight response like we ran away from a bear uh if we talk about hormones man we just released like cortisol we just released adrenaline noradrenaline which are hormones all responsible for that flight or fight response. And so we're all jacked up and hopped up on motivation um, and and that those that fitness buzz or that that fitness high. And uh, it can make it very difficult to fall asleep. And the last thing that we that I want to talk about to avoid right up, you know, until we go to sleep is is alcohol or just let's just go over the effects that alcohol has on our sleep and our sleep quality. Uh, this one's kind of a tough one i get asked this a lot but i think that why it's so difficult to interpret or understand is that if you have ever consumed alcohol or just know the effects uh, that alcohol has on the body um, it is a depressant right so if you have a certain amount of alcohol in your system we t- can tend to feel a little sleepy you know a little bit lackadaisical and uh if it's you know part of your routine or nightly routine or you have a couple of drinks before going to bed Um, On the outside, we might feel like, man, I'm kind of tired, really helps me wind down from a stressful day or a stressful week. Um, On the outside, again, it feels like it should help us go to sleep or it should help uh, put us to sleep. But physiologically and under under the hood, there's a lot of things going on that is just not making it any easier for your body to get to sleep or get the sleep that it needs. So, if we think of just the subcategory of alcohol, now here are a couple points that that if you are a uh, an alcohol you know drinker frequently, a couple every day, you know a couple throughout the week, and you're trying to uh, also work on your sleep, here's what might be going on. And uh, you know, I'm not a A life coach here trying to say quit drinking alcohol but let's just understand what is going on physiologically in the in the body so that you can start to assess yourselves be like okay well maybe this is something that uh, i could tweak or work on if sleep is on you know the top of the list as far as far as priorities so with alcohol you know we tend to see frequent wake-ups even if they're unnoticed right so we tend to be um I guess, what's the word? A little bit um, a little bit wired, even though we are, you know, our, our eyes are closed, we are not fully awake, but um, we might have these unnoticed wake-ups, uh, really just kind of hovering back and forth between like non-REM cycle sleep, uh, but also like wake-ups where you're not fully awake, like I said. So you're kind of like in this, uh, this weird gray area or this weird um, uh, subconscious, like, Uh, world where you're not awake but you're definitely not in that deep sleep that you need to be and you're just sort of hovering there um, and and not getting that sleep quality that you want or that you need Uh, but at a physiological point too we know or maybe not but uh, alcohol does inhibit what's called vasopressin so this this makes alcohol a pretty aggressive like diuretic which makes you need to urinate more frequently so if, if you've gone and you know to a bonfire or a shindig uh out to the bars whatever and you've you know started to consume alcohol and then all of a sudden you're like why am i going to the bathroom now you know they say like oh now the seal's broken and i'm just going 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 um since alcohol inhibits vasopressin i mean now again it's a diuretic so we don't retain water and just kind of goes through us so then once we start going man we just keep on going and this can interrupt sleep, especially if you just consume alcohol right before you went to bed. Whether it, you know, uh, you just keep getting up and having to go to the bathroom, there, boom, there is interrupted sleep that we probably can avoid. Uh, and then lastly, alcohol can negatively impact like our resting heart rate, our heart rate variability. So just uh, how I guess how low our heart rate should drop and can drop when we're at, when we're sleeping. Um, let alone like messing with our core temperature just like the food items too soon before bed or just the fact that alcohol is in our system and your organ systems are trying to quote unquote detoxify and get those alcohols out uh core temperature can be elevated and therefore again we need that core temperature to be lowered a little bit to get that sleep quality quality that we want and then the other one the other note i have is like respiratory rate right so because we have this, um, I, I want to use this lightly, but this foreign substance of alcohol in our body and our body is trying to get rid of it, um, respiratory rate will go up. I already mentioned heart rate will go up. Things are going to be elevated because it's trying to get that out of our system, whether we are awake or asleep. Hopefully those three topics uh, were worth going over. I know that these are really the main three topics that I'm asked as far as sleep quality and just things to work on at night, like the timing of your workouts, timing of uh, alcohol consumption and timing of the meals, Uh, whether we're talking about sleep or not. Like this is for a lot of people. This is going on uh, in their evening routine. And then we can talk about like, well, maybe why are we not seeing results? Maybe why um, are you feeling great during the day? But when you wake up in the morning, you're just feeling like total garbage. And we start to find out that, oh, there's a lot of these things going on that we didn't talk about yet. Um, that could be impacting your sleep, therefore impacting your recovery, therefore impacting um, our way of convincing your body to either, you know, metabolize fat, build muscle, get stronger, um, or just feel better and have more energy. So I wanted to talk about that now before talking about the next uh, item of discussion. And we're just going to talk about sleep deprivation and what that looks like or what you all can be looking for if this starts to sound like you. and. Uh, To help organize my thoughts as far as sleep deprivation, uh, I just kind of wanted to deliver information on on its impact on our appetite or just like how your body uh, will choose to lose weight or not if that is a goal for you. So um, as far as appetite, let's say... We know, or you know, you went to a medical professional and has you know found out that you are in fact sleep deprived, or you just can assume that you are not getting the sleep you want. How does that look? What does that look like as far as appetite or um, how you <laughs> how you digest meals or look at foods? So if we are in sleep deprivation and are in fact sleep deprived, your brain will can receive a signal that's pretty similar to what it'll receive if you are in starvation mode. So it's gonna release a bunch of hormones to change your appetite and hormone profile. So it thinks it is starving, basically, when you are sleep deprived. And so what, what happens when, when, when this is going on? So this will result in you, you know, wanting sometimes to eat more, but then also be dissatisfied once you are done eating that food. And so why is this going on, right? So um, humans tend to be the only animals only species out there that can um, you know deprive themselves of sleep for no apparent reason at all right it's not because to you know to care for for our children to do de- sometimes we just deprive ourselves of sleep just because or because we get too distracted um, but for most other animals out there sleep deprivation Uh, would only happen if they were experiencing starvation so then the brain would think that it should stay awake longer so that it can go and search and hunt for let's say food so for most other people or most other animals sorry sleep deprivation only happens as like a survival instinct hey we are not sleeping as much that probably means because we are starving so we need to stay awake longer to go out and get food and that should help but as for us as humans, um, that might not necessarily be the case. Like we might just be sleep deprived because we stayed, stay up too long on social media and do all this, but your brain and our brain thinks that we need to stay awake longer because we need to survive and get food. And that can just result in like a, just a, you know, a shit storm, um, endless, uh, chaotic loop and whirlwind that just doesn't get us healthier. It doesn't help us recover. It doesn't help us um, lose adipose tissue, none of that. Um, But to get to the hormonal level of what really happens, there are these hormones called uh, ghrelin and leptin. And so when you are sleep deprived and your body thinks, hey, we're not getting sleep because we need to get more food, we must be starving. Your body will release more ghrelin which is responsible for increasing appetite. And then it will also suppress leptin, which is the hormone that helps us feel like we're full and satisfied after a meal. So, what does that mean? Really, let's go back now. If you're sleep deprived, your brain can think that you're only staying awake because you need to go out and search and hunt for more food. Uh, and then, because of these different hormones getting upregulated and downregulated, all of a sudden now your appetite goes up uh, and the feeling of being full goes down. And so this can result for like a lot of us, like with without our permission, you know, or, you know, without, you know, uh, purposely going out and trying to get less sleep. That might be why the cravings go up, why your body just can't recover, why, uh, you know, you might have a bad relationship with food because this is like an evolutionary biological process going on. Um, that your body is trying to help you in what it thinks is a starvation episode, but we're just not getting enough sleep. So then we're just now we're eating more. We're not feeling good about food, and this turns, like I said, into that shit storm of of not a place you want to be. If you want to work on recovery, if you want to work on weight loss, I think it's also important to mention a little thing called cortisol. i mentioned this several times in different episodes, but um, cortisol is a key player when you know adapting to anything especially stress um but when we are sleep deprived like anything else cortisol is present and can be detrimental again to our recovery um, and any other goals that we have so as far as like weight loss and whatnot but i wanted to mention this because if you are a sleep deprived individual who is experiment experiencing sleep deprivation again cortisol is a very anabolic hormones hormone so um it can wants to be pro growth, like when it comes to adipocytes, um, or adipose tissue, but it can be very catabolic when it comes to muscle tissue. So what that means is that since we are sleep deprived and we might be, um, experiencing anxiety and be in a very stressed state since cortisol is just hanging around, um, it wants to be pro growth and hang on to adipose tissue to adapt to this episode that we're experiencing or this feeling, uh, you know, this deprivation feeling that it's going through. But it also, depending on like energy balance and what it's trying to adapt to, when, when, I, when I say it, it can be very catabolic uh, when it comes to muscle tissue, catabolic is the opposite of building up. It wants to break down. So f- for some of us, sleep deprivation can result in needing to not maintain to muscle or even just sort of using the energy we are to store in muscle, sacrificing that Uh, to adapt to other things going on. And, you know, I mentioned all this and it's super depressing now that I think about it, but um, being sleep deprived, you know, our body just shifts whatever it feels like it needs to, to adapt to this. It's not, you know, flipping into a mode just to crush our dreams. It's built to adapt. And if we have these things going on, like sleep deprivation, it's going to do anything it, it needs to and wants to to, uh, keep us alive and adapt to that. But it just not might, it just might not be parallel with our health and fitness goals. Um, but it, it, again, the, the, to, to mention that shitstorm going on, um, like me, I've experienced like chronic undersleeping or like pretty strong sleep deprivation episodes. And whether it's due to stress, it's due to whatever going on, but, um, it can be a, a, a very, you know, uncomfortable, depressing sort of, uh, of like ch- chaos loop that you're stuck in. Uh, because the, you know, the more anxiety I might be experiencing from work or life or whatever, the less sleep I get, but then the less sleep I get, the more cortisol that's present in my body and the more anxious I feel. So then it's just back and forth, back and forth. Um, but hopefully, like I said, the next part that I want to present is, okay, if you feel stuck, if you feel like you just don't know how to get better sleep, you're always tired, here are some things that we can start working on to hopefully get you out of that rut. If you are a list person, here are you know a couple things that Dr. Matthew Walker mentioned uh, to help with your sleep or help with your sleep quality if you are seeking that. And I think all of us should be. These are uh, these were very eye-opening to me. Um, I think I knew most of these. I just never knew how to quite implement them, uh, at least to a degree and a level that would make an impact or at least you know, stick uh, in a routine, in a very consistent routine. So I'm going to try some of these myself. Hopefully, it'll encourage some of you out there if you feel like you need to try these. But here are a few things that Dr. Matthew Walker uh, has recommended as far as improving sleep. Number one, he talked a lot about lighting. And so uh, before we go into like what kind of lights and the time and everything, uh, he mentioned as humans, you know, that seeing the sunset at dusk, right, seeing the sun go down does a good job of telling the body to start winding down, releasing melatonin and just prepping ourselves to fall asleep. Um, but Dr. Walker also mentions, he kind of takes the saying that we are a very dark, a very dark deprived society where we have like all of these different types of lights in our lifestyle that almost tricks the brain into thinking that it's still daytime. And this is different than, you know, probably 50, 60, 70 years ago, where we didn't have the technology or just the uh, exposure to all of these different types of lights that we needed to worry a lot about this. So naturally, uh, the human body uh, gets triggered to fall asleep because of the lack of light. But we have all of these different types of lights Uh, around us now. So um, his recommendations are, you know, avoid lights uh, as much as possible, or just simply, you know, if you can't just turn off all of your lights and sit in darkness, uh, turn off most of the lights 60 to 90 minutes before going to bed. Um, uh, I don't know about you, but I hear and and have studied a little bit more about like blue light therapy, or just uh, sorry, like avoiding blue lights in general. And so if we think of blue lights, we're talking about like, led bulbs uh phone screens tablet screens um those type of lights that are the more you know not so much like the darker warmer lights uh that we would like to see to help us fall asleep so the um the blue lights um the way that he described them dr walker is that they are like the longer wavelength type of lights so deemed blue lights and those type of longer wavelength lights seems to interfere a lot more with our release of melatonin so um it kind of affects the brain and he he deemed you know he kind of explained that the uh, the pineal gland that is responsible for releasing melatonin really gets impacted and affected when we have a lot of exposure to these blue lights so um lighting was a big topic of his as simple as it sounds to avoid Uh, phone screens tablet screens led bulbs um i feel it's not as simple as as it sounds so that but it does have a huge impact and one thing that if you're out there that i would probably recommend and he would recommend that you try another one that another recommendation that dr walker had was uh playing around with the temperature we talked about that you know your body to uh, initiate falling asleep and staying asleep, it needs to decrease its core temperature, like two to three degrees. But if you um, are, you know, in, in a house in your in a room that is just not hovering around the right temperature, uh, we can have some difficulty falling and staying asleep. So the ideal temperature that he recommends is 65 to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, however, like many he says he feels that many keep their bedrooms like far too warm at night. So 65 to 68 degrees, pretty chilly indoors. But uh, again, this is to assist in lowering our core temp. But if you're like me, that can sometimes feel way too cold for my arms, my hands, my legs, my my extremities. Um, so that's where we can start, you know, wearing socks, uh, putting some sort of like uh, heat bottles or heat, uh, heat devices by our feet to keep our extremities warmer, but ensuring that our core temperature um, is where it needs to be. A third recommendation from Dr. Walker, if those first two just don't resonate with you or just will not work uh, with your routine are different types of relaxation. So that is you know, anywhere from stretching to meditation, to journaling. And for some of us, or just, again, this is just me talking, um, this one actually would be the harder one for me to implement, uh, into my program if I want to improve my sleep. Um, but he, he even mentioned that, you know, this kind of seems a little hoaxy, but the science, the research and the, and the, all the articles that they, they have published, um, says a lot about, you know, this relaxation, stretching, journaling, uh, especially for insomniac patients, um. This can help with like slowing the heart rate down, um, sl- sl- you know, slowing the the racing thoughts in our brain. Promote an upregulation of what we call like parasympathetic response in our nervous system. So, the the parasympathetic response is the complete opposite from that fight or flight. So, just kind of shutting off uh, or um, turning down our nervous system because we are taking time to be mindful about things, organizing our thoughts, you know. Uh, When you're journaling, stretching, meditation, you probably are placing yourself in a more quiet and um, simple environment so that your brain can start shutting off, therefore making it easier to fall asleep. Now, lastly, some miscellaneous tips that uh, Dr. Matthew Walker went over. Um, They seem to make sense to me, but these were like some recommendations I never would have really thought of, but uh, let me know what you think. Um, he did mention like removing clocks from your, from your bedroom. So he, he mentioned that sometimes knowing the time can elicit a lot of anxiety. Like if you happen to wake up from, from sleeping, you'd be like, oh my gosh, how did I, how come I'm waking up at 2am? Um, sometimes, you know, removing clocks and not experiencing that can help. But if, (laughs) but I feel like not knowing the time can also elicit a bunch of anxiety. So you're going to have to kind of, uh, choose or, you know, Choose what you decide to implement or not implement. Um, but anyway, the, the last one he said was avoid lying awake for long periods of time in bed. Uh, this one kind of uh, struck me too. I mean, this this makes sense after you know reading it and listening to it. But since our brains are very good uh, associative devices, meaning like we we tend to associate things uh, in our routine to each other and you know create relationships and interactions with things um unfortunately if you are lying awake over and over and over night overnight for long periods of time um your body can and brain can start interpreting your bed as a place of being awake rather than a place for being a man that was mind-blowing that makes sense though doesn't it so if you tend to lie awake get up walk around it seems counterintuitive because now you're walking around and not sleeping but at least your brain will associate the bed for sleeping and you know, the rest of your house for not sleeping. So after all of that, guys, I don't think it is new news that sleep deprivation is a growing issue amongst the human population. You know, it's like, however, like when something remains like a growing issue for a long period of time, I feel like it can accidentally now become underestimated or underappreciated, right? If, if more people, were to tell me, hey, you need to get better sleep, you need to get better sleep, you need to get better sleep. I know that it will be important and I know that the importance will grow in my mind, uh, but it can start to sound like white noise and that's where I might underestimate or underappreciate the impact that sleep actually has on my body and my life. So like Dr. Matthew used a great analogy to kind of all sum this up, that sleep is a lot like the main volume dial on a switchboard. So to elaborate a little bit more like we can tend to focus on dialing up or dialing down on a lot of you know our other metrics or things in our lifestyle when it comes to improving our overall health and longevity like exercise nutrition supplementation uh decrease of pain etc the list goes on sometimes though no matter how much you know we want to control those other dials the sleep dial, the master dial, can really have like a final say in how impactful those other changes are that we're trying to make in the rest of our routine. So if we're just hammering away, dialing up 100% on exercise or nutrition or a little bit of this, uh, if our sleep is in check or is not in check, that you know it, that can essentially veto uh, a lot of the changes that we're trying to make elsewhere. So this will hopefully be a main focus of mine like i said but um now since that you know my sleep and recovery can be pushed aside sometimes i feel like in my life and i hope this brought some extra attention to the topic as well for you all the listeners out there even if you start by making you know minor changes like i'm i'm hoping to do uh to how you approach your sleep program i hope it makes a world of a difference so you can make bigger leaps and bigger improvements while putting your fitness into motion The music means the episode is done. Thank you all for tuning in to episode 10, talking all things sleep, sleep deprivation. Uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm going to be getting one heck of a night's sleep tonight and hopefully all the nights to follow. But uh, again, thank you all for tuning in. Hopefully it was helpful. I did reference quite a bit of like Dr. Matthew Walker and his work along with his interactions and his discussions he has had with Dr. Peter Atiyah. I will include some of the links and some of his information, Peter Atiyah and Dr. Walker in the show notes that you guys can go check them out. But anyway, I'm glad to be back here. Again, I accidentally took like a month hiatus from releasing episodes, but we will get back into the swing of things. I will be releasing new episodes again now every Monday, but every two Mondays. So every two weeks, and we'll keep that cadence going. So FimFam, thanks again. I'll see you in two weeks.